And you're on right now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Coming to you from the shores of the Indian River on Florida's beautiful Treasure Coast. And bringing you the news behind the news. The story behind the story. Here to convince you the reality is usually scoffed at. And illusion is usually king. We're streaming live on iHeartRadio and available as a podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, and Spotify. And you can follow me on Twitter at RightNowJimDawes. Shoot me an email at RightNowJimDawes at gmail.com. Or call the vent line and get something off your chest at 772-245-0750. At 772-245-0750. So you're going to have to bear with me this morning. I've got uh, I've come down with some sort of crazy uh, allergy down here in Florida. I'm not sure what it is, but I'm going to be leaning heavily. heavily on the uh, the cough button, I guess we, uh, in this case, it'll be the sneeze button. But uh, we will press on. Well, you know, of course, uh, that Saturday night, old Joe Biden won the South Carolina primary and uh, has breathed life back into his flagging campaign. There's just one big problem, and that is that uh, Super Tuesday is tomorrow. And not only has Joe Biden... Um, not done well up until this point, but his fundraising has been absolutely abysmal. Even old Buttigieg, who has dropped out now, and we'll get to that a little later, uh, was raising more money than Joe Biden, a a man that was in the United States Senate for over 30 years and served eight years as vice president of the United States, cannot raise money. So that sort of shows you, uh, you know, what the other uh, Democrats, uh, the the donors think about the prospect, his prospects of beating Donald Trump. But after running for president uh, twice before and never getting out of the single digits, old Joe Biden has finally won a primary. And, uh, and now of course he's claiming the big Mo he's got the big Mo going into super Tuesday. The only problem is he doesn't have the, the big cash. And even if he did, even if uh, this win does sort of kickstart his fundraising, he he won't be able to buy ads in these Super Tuesday states because the ads are already all bought up. And the truth of the matter is, after this Super Tuesday victory, and and I've got some crow to eat because I I uh, I was predicting that Bernie Sanders was going to pull through. But um, come Tuesday. Old Joe Biden's going to go right back to getting his butt spanked by old commie Bernie. I had predicted that uh, Bernie was going to uh, either come close or eke out a win. That wasn't the case. Joe Biden almost got 50% of the vote there in South Carolina. And Bernie Sanders got less than half that. Here's the problem. When I made that prediction, little did I know that Bernie Sanders was going to go on a week-long speaking tour praising uh communism and and in uh, uh in the old soviet union i i could not have predicted that so by the time friday rolled around i, I was pretty sure that uh commie bernie had made a mistake but it was too late and i stuck with it and uh, now i have to admit uh, that i got it all wrong 
So, you know, I just wonder if those voters in South Carolina didn't think that they were voting for Joe Biden to be a senator because, you know, he was out on the trail saying that my name is Joe Biden and I'm running for U.S. Senate. Maybe they thought they were voting for Joe Biden for senator. Here's a clip from Joe at his uh, his victory party that has came, come after his third presidential run. He has finally won a primary, and up until this point, he never won a single delegate before. You've been knocked down, counted out, left behind. This is your campaign. Just days ago, the press and the pundits have declared this candidacy dead. Now, thanks to all of you, the heart of the Democratic Party, we've just won and we've won big because of you. And we are very much alive. We are very much alive. We live. It's alive. It's alive. Here's a clip that that reminded me of. Bring out your date. Bring out your date. Bring out your date. Here's one. Ninepence. I'm not dead. What? Nothing. Here's your ninepence. I'm not dead. Yeah. He says he's not dead. Yes, he is. I'm not he isn't. Well, he will be soon. He's very ill. I'm getting better. No, you're not. You'll be stone dead in a moment. Oh, I can't take him like that. It's against regulations. I don't want to go on the car. Oh, don't be such a baby. I can't take him. I feel fine. Well, do us a favour. I can't. Well, can you hang around a couple of minutes? He won't be long. No, I've got to go to Robinson's. I've lost nine today. Well, when's your next run? Thursday. You think I'll go for a walk? You're not fooling anyone, you know. Look... Isn't there something you can do? I feel happy. I feel happy. Oh, thanks very much. Touch all. Uh, that's what it's going to be like come Super Tuesday. They're going to put old Joe out of his misery. I guess he'll, he, he may win uh, a few states on Super Tuesday enough to continue the uh, charade. But uh, the truth of the matter is that old commie Bernie's going to roll into Milwaukee with a, a, a lead in the delegates, and then it's going to come right back to where they were before the South Carolina primary, and that is whether or not the Democrat Party is once again going to cheat commie Bernie out of his nomination. He is truly the heart and soul of the Democrat Party right now. The conservative Southern voters uh, in South Carolina, even the Democrats, weren't going to go for a communist, but... Once they get to California and the upper Midwest and some of these other states, they'll be all on board. So Joe Biden was on all of the news shows over the weekend trying to get what they call earned media because he doesn't have a budget to buy uh, media. And he appeared on Fox News Sunday with Chris Wallace. And I got to say, uh, Biden sounded pretty good. He, he sounded upbeat. And uh, mostly coherent. He went through the whole interview without uh, without suffering uh, one of his famous Joe Biden gaffes until he got to the very last sentence of the interview when Chris Wallace asked him, um, you know, what would he say to Donald Trump? 
wait to debate him on stage. I want to, I want people to see me standing next to him and him standing next to me. <laughs> we'll see who's sleepy. <laughs> Mr. Vice President, thank you. Thanks for your time. Please come back in less than 13 years, sir. All right, Chuck. Thank you very much. Uh, all right. Uh, it's Chris, I but mean, anyway. Chris. I just did Chris. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I just. <laughs> Somebody didn't tell old Joe who he was talking to or where he was. So, you know, gaff-wise, Sleepy Joe never disappoints. And I was starting to feel cheated. I'd, I'd watched that whole interview and and hadn't gotten my trademark Joe Biden gaff. And so right there in the very last sentence, he, he delivered. Never one to disappoint. Here's an interesting little observation that might give you an idea of where exactly this Democrat race is. Despite the fact that old Joe Biden finally won and won big in South Carolina and is heading into Super Tuesday where he is he's desperate for someone to throw him a lifeline. The president that he served faithfully for eight years, I mean, you'd have to say that uh, during those eight years that uh, Joe Biden was uh, Barack Obama's butt boy. He served him without question. He was a good lieutenant to Obama. Obama still hasn't endorsed Joe Biden, his own vice president. And you have to wonder, you know, what does Obama know about Joe Biden that the rest of us don't? Or what does Obama know about Joe Biden's chances of actually securing this nomination? So now we're heading into Super Tuesday, and this is the first time Minnie Mike is going to appear on the uh, the ballot. And it's going to be interesting to see. Last night, he bought three minutes of airtime on two different networks to try to exploit the coronavirus in order to kickstart his campaign and his two disastrous debate performances so far. And there's no telling how many tens or hundreds of millions of dollars this must have cost. And so I went to the papers and to the uh, to social media this morning to try to find clips that I could play for you from his three minutes and his uh, however much money he spent on this uh, three minutes on two different networks must have gone over like a uh, the proverbial fart in an elevator because nobody covered it. There was there was no coverage. It made no splash at all. And again, this comes back to the fact that uh, you you know if if you've got a message, if you've got a personality, if you've got something to sell, then yeah, having a big fat checkbook can probably buy you the nomination. But if, if all you're selling is a diminutive, boring, um, Manhattan liberal, then it's not going to work so well, but I was able to find a clip from a previous, uh, I think this is uh, uh, Bloomberg appearing on, on 60 Minutes. 60 Minutes has basically converted itself into a, a platform for the Democrat candidates to beat up on Donald Trump. And here was uh, Minnie Mike appearing with uh, the little albino from CNN on 60 Minutes. His name is Anderson Cooper. How do you view this emergency? 
Uh, that is not the albino from CNN. That's Scott Pelley. Let's try it again. Do you view this emergency? Um, I find it incomprehensible that the president would do something as inane as calling it a hoax, which he did last night in South Carolina. He, he said that the Democrats making so much of it is a Democratic hoax, not that uh, the virus was a hoax. This is a- hey, two points for uh, to Scott Pelley actually pointed out that uh, this latest lie that that Donald Trump called the coronavirus a hoax was not true. That's something you rarely see, especially on network TV. So, uh, you know, three cheers for Scott Pelley, but Bloomberg tried to forward that line. Scott Pelley actually called him on it. I in real time as calling it a hoax, which he did last night in South Carolina. He he said that the Democrats making so much of it is a Democratic hoax, not Uh, that the virus was a hoax. This is up to the scientists and the doctors as to whether there is a problem. They all around the world say that it is in some places and has enormous potential to become one elsewhere. And it is just ignorant and irresponsible to not stand up and be the leader and say, we don't know, but we have to prepare for the fact that if it is, we have the medicines and the structure and the knowledge to deal with it. So Trump is ignorant and irresponsible for not standing up and saying that um, uh, this coronavirus has the potential to get much worse in the United States. It's not bad right now, but we have to prepare for the worst. It, it kind of reminds me of something I heard at a press conference last week. We're ready to adapt and we're ready to do whatever we have to as the disease spreads, if it spreads. But we're very, very ready for this, for anything, whether it's going to be a a breakout of larger proportions or whether or not we're... uh, you know, we're at that very low level, and uh, we want to keep it that way. I'm going to be announcing uh, exactly right now that I'm going to be putting our vice president, Mike Pence, in charge. And Mike will be working with the professionals and doctors and everybody else that's working. So that's what Bloomberg was accusing Trump of being ignorant and responsible for not doing. Trump has been doing since, uh, I guess, for a couple of months now. You know, uh, this whole Bloomberg candidacy reminds me a lot. Was it 92 when Ross Perot ran? Now, I'm not saying that uh, I'm not insulting Ross Perot. Uh, They obviously have very different views on things. But Ross Perot financed his own campaign and uh, and bought airtime um, with his charts and graphs similar to what Mikey Bloomberg did last night. Of course, the difference is uh, Ross Perot, like I said, he had a product to sell. He was diminutive as well, but uh, he was interesting. And uh, the the case that he was making was very similar uh, back then to what Pat Buchanan was saying, was uh, saying that these uh, globalist trade deals are going to land us in an economic mess, which he was exactly correct. Ross Perot died this year, by the way. And, uh, and the difference is, and why Mike isn't getting any traction so far, is he's not interesting. He's not 
and he doesn't have anything to sell. He is, in a word, no Ross Perot, and he is, in a word, no Donald Trump. You know, Donald Trump was a populist, and he was able to push through and win this election, one, because he's got a big personality, he's, uh, he's you know, charismatic, and two, the prescriptions that he was selling were something that the American people were desperate for as the uh, the two-party duopoly in Washington, D.C. had a, uh, a death choke on American interests. But that's not Minnie Mike. Minnie Mike is running to return us to the days of these globalist trade deals. He is he's in bed with China. He's got a major part of his fortune invested in China. And he is no Donald Trump. Hey, we got to run out to a break. We'll be right back and take this up again. Stick with us. If you are trying to quit drinking or doing too many drugs, listen to me. You don't know me and we'll never meet. I had a problem like you once. I drank and used to party a little too much till it got out of control and almost ruined my life. I realized I needed help to fix my problem before it totally destroyed me. If you've tried to fix your drinking and drug problem and you know you can't do it alone, you need to call the National Treatment Advisors. They'll immerse you into a 30-day program to replace your old habits with new habits and totally change your life. And if you have PPO, private health insurance, the entire program may be covered. Fix your problem right now before it gets any worse. Get clean. Call now and learn more. 800-957-6209. 800-957-6209. 800 That's 800 957 no, Mini Mike is no Donald Trump, and he is not going to be able to buy this nomination. Well, I'd say he's not going to be able to buy the nomination before Milwaukee. Now, after they roll into Milwaukee, especially if Joe Biden is uh, is limping in there uh, and and doing very poorly, then Mike Bloomberg will be have the opportunity to whip out his checkbook and buy the nomination. At which point there will be a a just meltdown of the Bernie Bros, and uh, they're going to have to call out the riot police there in Milwaukee. But uh, Mini Mike is no Donald Trump. He's got more money, but he is uh, he's got all of the the wrong policy prescriptions. Andrew Yang, who has, has dropped out of the race, uh, was on CNN and made a very um, accurate observation. Uh, the big missing piece to me is why Bloomberg would not just take all of these resources and put them towards a candidate that he believed in. It reminds me of like a movie director who casts himself. You know what I mean? It's like, I can't find anyone who's going to be better in this role than me. And like, you know, I looked in the mirror and I said... You remember when... Uh, George Bush's uh, vice president, and I'm having a Biden moment. It's uh, escaping me now. Dick Cheney was put in charge of the search for the perfect vice presidential candidate. And after a exhaustive search in dozens of interviews, he determined that he was the best vice presidential candidate. That's that's mini Mike. So we've lost another couple of candidates in the Democrat primaries. Oh, Pete Booty Juice has dropped out 
couldn't get any traction uh, going into South Carolina, which is perfectly predictable. The the uh, culturally conservative black voters that make up the majority of the Democrat primary voters in South Carolina were never going to vote to have a first man, a, a first husband of the first gay president in the White House. You know, and I was thinking about it, what what Booty Juice did wrong is is not that he was gay. Uh, he, you know, people uh, in this day and age are mostly willing to ignore that. The problem is he wasn't gay enough. He, if he really wanted to get some attention and excite the Democrat base, what he needed to do was, was be flamboyantly gay. Like some of these, uh, gay pride parades. You see, he should have really, uh, <laughs> he should have really let it fly. Over in South Carolina, uh, they were chanting in the streets. Uh, Pete showed up at some event, and the uh, the South Carolina primary voters started chanting this. They're chanting, Pete can't be our president. Pete can't be our president. I found a clip. Uh, one of the things that Booty Juice was trying to do was adopt the mannerisms and speech patterns of a certain former president of the United States, thinking that they might work for him. And this is a, uh, a clip that overlays Booty Juice on the campaign trail with Barack Obama's speech when he was on the campaign trail. This country, this country was, was built. And it is a movement schools, reaching into and church basements and barber and in our schools, and universities and, and with our kids. Halls. And if the voice we can change the neighborhoods and we can change the cities, shines Shining as a beacon, a beacon around the world. the world once more. And this, this is, is our chance to, change to answer that call. The way we when do every other election by giving it to the person who got the most votes. Just a thought. So he he pulled a Joe Biden there. He uh, he went right in and just uh, copied somebody else's uh, speech. Well, not only has Booty Juice dropping dropped out, but uh, so has Tom Steyer, who was probably um, running the worst presidential campaign in history. He continued to be able to buy his way onto the debate stages, but other than that, he was pretty much a non-player. And here's a clip from his withdrawal speech there in South Carolina after the primary. I got into this race for really, really good reasons. I got into this race because I thought that people weren't adequately addressing racial injustice in this country. And so he promised reparations. And it's true. And I thought that we were at risk as a country in terms of climate and that that expressed itself in terms of environmental injustice and we've certainly seen that and that's true is it and that we live in a country that's deeply unjust economically where rich people have been profiting at the expense of everybody else rich people and that's really true and my family and i have been working on those things for decades and i didn't get into this race and start talking about things to try and get votes. Well, if you didn't get into this race to talk about those things in order to get votes, then I guess you would have to say that his campaign was successful because he got very, very few votes. 
all of those things that he was saying there are total and complete hypocrisy. Says he got in it for climate change. This is a guy, a billionaire, that made his money off of funding coal plants. So even if you buy this notion that uh, CO2 is causing global warming, he was the last person that could legitimately carry that message. Hey, we got to run out to a break. When we come back, we're going to get the latest updates from the coronavirus. It's right here in Florida now. Don't panic! Stick with us. You're going to hear two messages, and then we'll be right back, right here on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. Stick with us. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. Whether you're moving in together for the first time. This can be your closet. Or you're a new parent to a little fur baby. Viva Paper Towels can help you maintain a clean home. They're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. So they clean like cloth, helping you pick up after your new pet in your new home. For an exceptional cloth-like clean, use Viva Towels. Visit vivatals.com to learn more and start fresh with a clean feeling of home. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo 50 Radio Network. A daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an American nationalist perspective. So I put a poll up on Twitter. It's got about 13 hours left at this airing, so run on over there and uh, weigh in on this. And the question was, what is a greater threat to America, the coronavirus or the Democrats? (laughs) And uh, I think quite accurately, the vote total is lopsided. 95% of the respondents said that the Democrats are a greater threat to America than the coronavirus, and I would have to agree with that. So I'd love to know what you think. Go on over to uh, my Twitter page at right now Jim Dawes. That's spelled D-A-W-S. No E. D-A-W-S. And find that poll and let me know. If you think that coronavirus or the Democrats are the greater threat to America. You know, uh, prior to the outbreak of this coronavirus, we were uh, we were being told that um, this this great economy that we were having and we were we were experiencing all time historic highs in the stock market before the coronavirus last week caused it to collapse, I think, about 12 percent. Everybody, all of the Democrats were running around telling us, well, that's that's Barack Obama's economy. You don't hear that anymore, do you? (laughs) Just like that, like flipping a switch. Now that uh, coronavirus has caused this to crash, we're we're once once again being told that this is Trump's economy now. 
So Governor Rick DeSantis down here in Florida has declared a public health emergency because a coronavirus has has um, set up house here in our state. They've got their first confirmed cases over in Tampa, Florida. And now I'm sneezing. It's probably just a coincidence. Oh, my God. OK, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. What's the procedure, everyone? Calm. What's the procedure? Stay Stay calm, don't panic. So at times like this, I like to look to Hollywood uh, to know what to think. And I I found a clip uh, from um, one of the geniuses out there in Hollywood. This is terrible. We're in a terrible situation. We're in a terrible situation. So, you know, I've, I've put in uh, one, one thing about Florida is we know how to prepare to stay in the house uh, because every year we go through a hurricane season down here and everybody uh, plans on it. So most people have stores of food and, uh, and know how to um, not have to go outside. And uh, it is going to be very uh, shortly before we adopt the hurricane protocols down here in Florida, uh, at least until the weather warms up. Oh, Marco Rubio, who uh, really is doing uh, good work, calling out the uh, the threat that uh, making linking our economic well-being to China puts us in, had this to say with regard to the coronavirus. Is going to have coronavirus cases. It's not a question of if. It's a question of when. And my guess is that what we know about Florida is it's a big state. We have a lot of people travel through here from all over the country and all over the world. I think sooner rather than later, we're going to learn that we have cases here. That should not cause us to panic. What it should cause us to do is, number one, to make sure everyone is fully aware of how you prevent this from spreading, what you can do to protect yourself. But the other thing is we should be triaging our resources and prioritizing our most vulnerable population, retirement communities, nursing homes, ALS. You know, uh, he he makes a very good point, though. We do have a large elderly population down here and almost all of the deaths that I've I've been able to confirm have been among elderly people with compromised immune systems. So if. The coronavirus does come to Florida. We are particularly vulnerable uh, to those infections. So um, pray for Florida. I do have a coronavirus plan that I'm going to be implementing. Go to Mums, kill Phil, sorry, grab Liz, go to the Winchester, have a nice cold pint, and wait for all this to blow over. Yes, I will be having a nice cold pint and waiting for all of this to blow over. Have you noticed that um, the the contrast between uh, how Trump has been handling this and how he has been condemned by the media and what happened back in 2009 during the Uh, The swine flu outbreak. It took Obama six months to declare an emergency, by which time millions of Americans were infected and over a thousand people had uh, had died. Barack Obama was uh, was declared, uh, you know, was was praised for that. And Mike Shields, who uh, 
as one of these Republican strategists talking heads appeared on CNN and pointed out this very thing. I think he's doing the right thing. Look, he five weeks ago, he declared a national health emergency. That's exactly what President Obama did with the swine flu. Amazing the coverage, how glowing it was of his decisive leadership when Obama did that. President Trump, it was kind of ignored because we got back to impeachment. As Mr. Mulvaney said, it was talked about, but then we went back to impeachment. He stopped flights from China, and look what's happened. Other countries that continued their flights, like Italy, are starting to have much larger amounts of this. We have hardly had any And that's partly because of what the president did, obviously. And now he is ramping it up. He put Mike Pence, a former governor. Most of the governors are there in front line of of dealing with the public response to this type of thing. Mm -hmm. You have a governor in charge of that who knows how to talk to governors, who's had to deal with this himself. And he's appointed himself a czar to handle it from the federal perspective. Today, they had meetings across Capitol Hill. It was their fifth meeting with Congress to be briefed on this today. So mm-hmm. there's only been four before this. And naturally what happens after that? Democrats come on and go, we're completely unprepared. And then you wonder why we think Democrats are cheerleading for this to be a problem. Because it immediately becomes a partisan issue and the president gets attacked even though he's showing decisive leadership and doing exactly what President Obama did. Democrats are looking for an opportunity to attack him. And so here we are after go the races and partisan fighting <laughs> all over again. Go ahead, Ken. Actually, he's doing much better than Obama did. By the time Obama got around to declaring the swine flu an emergency, millions of Americans were infected and there were over a thousand U.S. deaths. You flip the coin and uh, and Trump declared uh, a public health emergency uh, one month after the coronavirus was discovered in Wuhan, China. Nobody paid attention, but because they were back in the impeachment days, you had uh, you had the uh, spectacle going on in the U.S. Senate, so nobody was paying attention except Donald Trump while he was being impeached. Took early and decisive action to try to limit the spread. Now, whether or not that's going to be infected, we don't know, but it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear if you watch the talking heads and the Democrats that uh, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that they were rooting for the coronavirus, but they certainly are trying to use it and exploit it politically in order to attack this president at the same time, uh, you know, condemning the president as, as being, uh, a, um, a threat, you know, here is Kaylee McInerney, uh, appearing on Fox pointing this out. Yeah, and, and no, these people don't recognize it. These are creatures of the swamp. These are leftists. These are people who live and exist in Manhattan and in the swamp, and they never leave it. And what is so sick to me is that what is good for America, rather what is bad for America, is good for Democrats. It's incredible that they think this way. They root against the stock market. They root for this to take hold. They have a demented dream of taking down President Trump. It doesn't matter how many Americans they destroy in order to get there. Maybe that's a little over the top. Maybe they're they're not rooting for the coronavirus, but they certainly are trying to use it against the president. They're politicizing it. And one of the things that I think this is having uh, is is illustrating that Donald Trump's uh, determined efforts on border security have even broader implications than uh, than, you know, crime and illegal aliens and drugs pouring over our border. They also allow people uh, into the country without health screenings. You know, figure um, 
there's probably a higher percentage of illegal aliens that sneak across the border with criminal backgrounds or, uh, you know, uh, human traffickers or MS-13 gang members than there are of uh, people carrying this virus. Now, you know, the virus is, uh, is obviously a different kind of threat, but most certainly allowing these criminals in, um, that has serious public safety and, and health implications as well. The Democrats like to point out, well, you know, we let millions in and Ellis Island and uh, immigration is our strength. Yes, if it's done legally, it can be a source of strength. I would argue that after uh, going on 40 years of un- unfettered immigration, both illegal and legal, it's time for a moratorium similar to what they took, um, you know, after that last major wave. But Trump, uh, Trump has been trying to secure the border while the Democrats have steadfastly tried to keep it open. And, and that, once again, points out that he's the one that really has the best interests of the American people at heart. So after 18 long years, we're finally making some movement on trying to get the hell out of Afghanistan. And we're going to talk about that when we come back from this message. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Are you from California, Illinois, New York, Georgia, or any of the other 39 states that charge state income tax? Does your state claim you owe them any amount of back taxes? Or have you not filed in years? Is your heart pounding because you know they're wrong or you just don't have the money? Don't fight the state income tax board alone. The tax doctor is here to help you. The state is much more aggressive than the IRS in collecting taxes. They have the power to take your home, your car, your driver's and business licenses, even garnish your wages, freeze your bank accounts, and go after your spouse. Solve all your income tax problems permanently and keep more of your hard-earned money. Make this 100% guaranteed risk-free call right now. 800-631-9241. 800-631-9241. That's 800-631-9241. So the president, during his campaign and during his uh, his term in office, has, has made it quite clear that his first priority with regard to Afghanistan is to get the United States the hell out. But a parade of uh, these national security and foreign policy experts have have uh, tried to punish him politically every time he's he's tried to cut our losses. Trump understands the the concept of sunk costs just because you have expended uh, a great deal. And in the case of Afghanistan, it's been about twenty five hundred precious American lives and literally trillions of dollars. It's not going to get any better. We're going to have to leave eventually when we leave. The place will resort to its natural state, and that is tribal warfare. And there's nothing we can do about it. And anybody that uh, just had a cursory reading of history, beginning with Alexander the Great to the British Empire, 
to the Soviet Union and many others that have tried to uh, stay and occupy Afghanistan, that lesson should have been well learned. But, uh, you know, the president is going to uh, pull us out, and now he's engaged in this uh, this sort of kabuki theater, saying that, uh, you know, they're going to try to promote uh, d- uh, negotiations between the Taliban and the national government. It's very similar to what Nixon did in 1972 when he, uh, he had these peace negotiations with the Viet Cong. Um, those weren't going to go anywhere. And eventually after that, uh, that ill-fated misadventure in, in Vietnam, we left and, uh, and it went right back to its natural state over there. I keep wondering what happened to the old model of war where you went in, if, you know, if somebody did you wrong, you uh, destroyed their army, you killed people and broke things, and then you left. When did it become our responsibility, the American taxpayer's responsibility to occupy these places and convert them into, you know, some sort of uh, Jeffersonian democracy utopia? That's not how we should have dealt with Afghanistan. What we should have done in Afghanistan is go in, found Osama bin Laden, killed him, killed as many Afghan or uh, as many uh, Taliban as got in our way and then got the hell out and told them if they, if they allowed Al Qaeda or terrorist organizations to set up in Afghanistan, we'd come back and do it again. But no, I guess there wasn't enough money for the military industrial complex and, and, um, and the, the diplomatic industrial complex in doing that. We had to stay and try to, uh, secure the place for democracy and impose Western values and, now we've been there almost 20 years. And Douglas McGregor, who often appears on Tucker's show, this clip I'm going to play is actually from uh, an appearance he did with Judge Napolitano. But he had this figured from the very beginning. He's one of the few people that uh, were willing to say the obvious. Before I let you go, what should we be spending a trillion dollars in the Islamic world to import democracy? Oh, absolutely not. It's a dead end. It's a, it's a hopeless endeavor. Hopeless endeavor. Absolutely. It's, this is a bottomless pit for our resources. Nothing good is going to come That's out of it. Yeah, absolutely right. Nothing good is going to come of it. You can't impose Western values on an ancient culture that's based on cousin marriage. These people have been marrying their first cousins for centuries and they like to engage in tribal warfare, just like the Hatfields and McCoys. Here is a, a sort of a long clip of Mike Pompeo uh, setting up what he's trying to do uh, with regard to these peace negotiations in Afghanistan. It's a place where our brave soldiers, diplomats, allies, and Afghan counterparts have served and sacrificed now for nearly two decades. So first, we have to be realistic. We're proud of our gains, but our generals have determined that this war is unlikely to be won no militarily without tremendous additional resources. All sides are tired of fighting. We've arrived at a historic opportunity for peace. Won't be easy to obtain. We should seize the moment. Then there's restraint. We're currently in a seven-day reduction in violence period that started on February 22nd. In 19 years of war, this is the first week-long break in violence by all sides if we're successful in achieving it. If, and only if, 
it's successful. We will sign the U.S. Taliban agreement coordinated with the government of national unity on or about February 29th. That includes a timeline for both a conditions-based and phased troop withdrawal and for the commencement of inter-Afghan negotiations. These negotiations, if they take place, will be the first time that Afghans representing all sides of the conflict will sit down together and begin the hard work of reconciliation. We should have never gone into Pakistan or uh, into Afghanistan. Once we were there, we should have realized the mistake we had made and withdrawn no more than two years later. And now, uh, after uh, just a national tragedy, the inevitable is going to happen. And this is what the Afghans themselves have to say about this peace process. <laughs> शायद कोई कोई और ना कहे ये जिस आईएसआई को आज मुर्दे इल्जाम ठहराया जा रहा है What do you you don't speak Pashtun? Well, here's a translation. You bad man, you very very bad man. You bad man, you very bad man. You bad man. He's a very bad man. He's a very very bad man. They are not human. Very bad. Very, 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 very bad. bad. <laughs> oh, get the hell out of Afghanistan! Tell them if they uh, if the, tell the pack uh, the uh, Taliban in no uncertain terms that if you don't behave yourself, you're going to see a lot of cruise missiles coming over the horizon. So Donald Trump, who has been trying to ignore uh, this, uh, these generals and these foreign policy experts that took us into Af- the godforsaken land of Afghanistan had this to say when asked about the strategy in Afghanistan. Oop, that's not the clip. Where are we at? Here we go. Go ahead, one, one final question. Go ahead. No, no, please. Like today. Okay, today they'll start immediately. So what he's saying is they're going to start the withdrawal now, and of course, like Donald Trump pointed out during the campaign, once you tell your uh, your adversary what your withdrawal schedule is, and all they have to do is wait around. That's what the Taliban's going to do. Donald Trump understands this, but he's made the decision. Um, he's not allowed to say it. That uh, we're going to have to leave at some point. Nothing's going to change. Uh, uh, Afghanistan will revert to his natural its natural state. So there's this prison reform movement that's being largely funded by George Soros, who is going throughout the country and pouring money into these uh, local attorney general races and on the state and on the, uh, the county level. And he's getting these attorney generals elected that, uh, that support this uh, abolition of cash bail, such as in New York, where they're, they're just turning... Uh, violent criminals back out on the streets where they do exactly what you would expect them to do, and that's commit more crimes. They've taken the discretion totally away from the uh, from the judges who are responsible for making sure that anybody that they they let out is not going to be a, a continued threat to public safety or a flight risk. And they did that through this uh, this bail program. 
they knew that uh, you know the Constitution requires them to uh, allow bail, or at least how it's been interpreted. But if they have somebody in front of them that they believe is going to be a flight risk or a continued risk to public safety, they set the bail so high that they know that that person won't be able to make it, and they can sit and wait in in jail until their court date rolls around. And that works for uh, both the poor defendants and for the rich defendants. If they're faced with a, a rich uh, defendant, they just set the bail that much higher and prevent them from getting out. And old Bernie Sanders is is all on board with this uh, prison abolition movement. And if he's successful, what it's going to do and what it's uh, what it's going to do at, in its current form is bring back vigilante justice. If people can't count on the state to protect themselves and their property, they're going to eventually take law into their own hands. It's already happening in places in Texas. Uh, in Harris County, which is Houston, uh, the uh, the Soros-funded district attorney there has uh, determined that they're not going to uh, press charges against theft or burglary if it's less than $750. And now the criminals who know this are just coming into the stores and and helping themselves. And they know that if they keep the total amount that they steal down below $750, they're good to go. They're not going to be prosecuted. I've even heard some stories saying that they're, they're bringing calculators into the stores with them to uh, to make sure that they don't go over the $750 limit. So this is going to be a total breakdown, a total and complete breakdown of of law and order. And when that happens, American people are going to be left to fend for themselves. These shop owners are not going to be able to stay in business that they've spent years building up. If they allow people to just walk in and take their stuff. Eventually, uh, the law abiding citizens are going to be left with a, a form of Darwinism. And that's the, survival of the fittest and without a criminal justice system to um you know to keep a lid on the jungle then we're going to return to the rule of the jungle and that's uh, every man for himself so old joe biden finally got a w there in south carolina and now he's got like one day to capitalize on that momentum and prepare for super super tuesday the only problem is Super Tuesday is shaping up as a big day for Okami Bernie. And there are some big, big losses that are going to be heading Joe's way on Tuesday. Sanders leads big time in California where he's got thousands of campaign volunteers on the ground. He set up 25 different campaign offices in the Golden State, the once Golden State. Joe Biden's got one campaign office in all of California. Same is true in Texas. Bernie's leading old Joe, even in Texas, which really makes you worry about the the makeup of the voters there in Texas. So when I come on the air on Wednesday morning, Sanders is going to have a huge lead. 
will wake up to the reality that Sanders has a lot of supporters and that Mike Bloomberg has a lot of money and that old Joe Biden has a lot of problems. And the question will come right back uh, to where it's headed now, and that is whether or not the Democrats are really going to blow up their party in order to stop commie Bernie, who has been doubling down in recent days on his uh, support of socialist regimes, whether they're going to blow up the party in order to stop him. For all of those who, uh, who, you know, are saying that Bernie Sanders is unelectable, the, the party establishment, the people who really make the decisions, whether or not they're going to actually allow uh, a, a just disastrous candidate to take their party. If it does, that's going to cause a schism in the Democrat Party. If they don't, that's going to cause a schism in the Democrat Party. I hope the Democrats go ahead and nominate old Bernie. One, because Donald Trump is going to be able to easily mop the floor with him. Can you imagine when they start making campaign commercials out of these Bernie Sanders uh, communist organizers, paid staffers and volunteers talking about mass murder and gulags and re-education camps and and you superimpose that with uh, old commie Bernie making these statements in support of Castro and Venezuela's Chavez and Maduro and footage of of Bernie Sanders honeymooning in the Soviet Union oh it would be glorious but even more than that because I think Donald Trump's going to beat any of these Democrat nominees, including Biden or Bloomberg. But even more than that, it will once and for all signal the death knell of this modern Democrat party that really has lost its way. And maybe something useful to the country can be built on the ruins. Well, when I come to you tomorrow, uh, we're going to be getting ready for Super Tuesday. And we're going to be joined by uh, another guest from America First Policies to talk about uh, how it's shaping up. And I hope you'll join us uh, then right here on right now on the Mojo 5.0 Radio Network. We'll talk to you then. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, hmm, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Whether you host a nightly dinner party for two or five, keeping your eating and dining area clean helps keep your mind on the dinner party and not on the cleanup afterwards. Viva paper towels clean like cloth, trapping splatters and sauces that could become countertop stains or stuck on messes. And they're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. For an exceptional cloth-like paper towel, there's Viva. Visit vivatowels.com to soak up the clean feeling of home.